the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us as we get underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the 11th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Coming up on the program in about, uh, we'll call it 40 minutes. In fact, exactly 40 minutes as it's now 9.08. At 9.48, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio's 4th Congressional District, uh, ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, also on the Judiciary Committee, going to join us to talk about all of the nonsense last week, including... The uh, Michael Cohen uh, collusion. That's right, collusion with ranking Democrat, or uh, actually committee chair Democrat uh, Adam Schiff, literally colluding for some 10 hours prior to his testimony before a committee colluding with Democrat uh, Adam Schiff. He's being coached uh, on what to say on how best to take a bite out of Donald Trump. Simply staggering revelation we got really at the end of last week. So we'll ask the congressman about that. Also, of course, about hatred. Apparently, the United States House of Representatives hates hate. Good for them. That's super. Nice job. Glad to know that you dislike hate like everybody else does. Why would you pass a resolution saying, we all hate hate? Could it be because you refuse to censure and to rebuke one of your own for her specific hate? Her specific hate of Jews and of Israel. Yes, that is exactly why. We're going to talk to uh, Congressman Jordan about that uh, coming up as well. And also, how familiar are you with H.R. 1, House Resolution 1? It is a very, very complicated, 700-page, dangerous piece of legislation. I just spoke when I was hosting the Hugh Hewitt program this morning with uh, representative, congressional representative from Illinois, Rodney Davis, who is the ranking Republican on uh, an important committee you probably don't know a ton about because you don't hear a lot about it, but it's the Committee on House Administration. That committee uh, has primary jurisdiction over the Democrat majority's leading legislation for this Congress, which is H.R. 1. H.R. 1 is kind of a plethora of campaign finance, election, and ethics reforms, all targeted by Democrats to create their ideal election system through federally controlled mandates, meaning state boards of election, local boards of election, all of the rules that we establish for ourselves would be wiped out. It would be under federal control. It is a massive federal power grab that the House is scheduled to vote on this Friday. Cannot tell you how dangerous it is. And I talked, uh, like I said, to uh, Representative um, Rodney Davis from Illinois, uh, who is the ranking Republican on that committee, about it. And uh, you you need to educate yourself. And then you're going to need to contact your representative. Mine happens to be the guy I'm going to do. That's nice, I have to admit. I mean, it's just coincidental that I happen to live in Jim Jordan's congressional district, so I don't have to call my congressman on my own like I tell you two all the time. I just get him on the radio and talk to him there. But I am going to talk to mine, and I hope you talk to yours about that very, very dangerous piece of legislation known as um, H.R. 1, 
House Resolution 1. It is a massive federal power grab. So uh, that's coming up at about 948. A lot of very important news to get into today. South by Southwest was held this weekend. What is South by Southwest? It's a, kind of a cultural festival. It's like a pop culture festival. It celebrates music and art and tech and, yes, of course, liberal politics. It's held in Austin, Texas, which is an extraordinarily liberal city. For those who don't know, uh, Texas has, of course, a reputation of being a strong red state, conservative as the day is long, but that doesn't mean all of Texas. In fact, Austin, the capital, is exceedingly liberal. Uh, anyway, they gather there every year to essentially, um, you know, advance progressive ideas and to celebrate progressivism and liberalism and this um, identity politic and that identity politic, etc. And uh, this year they invited... Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez and Kelly Bundio Cortez did not disappoint. She sat down with Brianna Gray and proceeded to, I don't know, trash the United States. As a sitting member of Congress, she trashed the United States. She trashed the United States economic model of capitalism. She trashed, Ameri- trashed American principles, saying that it's extremely racist. She trashed uh, the United States culture, saying that we are kind of like garbage. She said that it's our fault that we have a society with penthouses and homeless people, and that that shouldn't be, that homeless people should be given uh, uh, homes from the people who own the penthouses. In other words, it was a pure socialist propaganda interview that she did, and her supporters ate it up. Now, I talk about AOC a lot, and she and some of her defenders would cite that as evidence that we are somehow obsessed with her, that we somehow fear her, and that's why we can't stop talking about her. And the reality of the situation is we talk about her all the time because she won't shut up, because she won't walk by a microphone and say no comment. She won't not schedule interviews. She won't stop tweeting. Excuse me. And as she tweets and says ridiculously indefensible, ignorant things, they demand a response. They do. They just require a response from this side of the aisle or from the, dare I say, common sensible side of the aisle. So we give her attention because she demands it. And quite frankly, because we have to figure out what we're going to do about people like her. You know, six, eight months ago, Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez was a bartender, 29-year-old bartender. She was putting that economics degree from Boston University to great use. She was uh, mixing uh, rum and Cokes, <clears throat> gin and tonics. Um, Lord knows she probably couldn't go any further than that because those are the only ones that actually have the ingredients in it. Make it easier for in the title. I mean, <clears throat> anyway, she was um, she was she was a bartender. She she was a bartender wasting an economics degree, and somehow she decided I'm going to run for Congress. And thanks to a wide variety of perfect storm situations. Uh, including a Republican candidate who did not campaign, including a, a district that simply economic or excuse me demographically was perfect for her, <clears throat> and a district filled with completely apathetic voters, only eleven of which eleven percent rather of which turned out, she won a seat in Congress 
Fast forward to where we are today. She's not just a freshman representative keeping her head down, learning the ways of the road, uh, you know, the ways of the, of the, of the business of Congress on Capitol Hill and, and taking that path. She's, um, she's lurching out and essentially establishing American policy nationally and internationally. She's personally using her charm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe some people find vacuous ramblings of of bubble-headed people charming. I don't know, but she's she's charming enough to have over 3 million Twitter followers. She's taking her celebrity, if you will, and because of that, establishing policy. She's personally killing twenty-five to 40,000 new jobs in New York City by way of Amazon with her completely invalid Boston Boston University economics degree, um, helping her to to believe that it's going to cost New York City $3 billion to bring Amazon to town, saying let's spend that $3 billion elsewhere on the needy and this and that and the other, not understanding, no, there's not $3 billion sitting there. It's $3 billion of taxes they're not going to collect from Amazon which is a very nice trade-off for $27 million of, or, uh, of, or billion dollars, rather, of economic growth and activity over the next decade in New York City because of Amazon. That's a net $24 billion gain, but the, the queen of the economics degree at Boston University didn't understand that. So she's got all of this power despite having no sense whatsoever. And she's sitting at South by Southwest trashing the United States and declaring capitalism capitalism the model by which of course the greatest nation in the history of human civilization uh, operates she says it is irredeemable and she has a bunch of the nitwit young millennial and some Gen Z population down there at South by Southwest eating out of her hand and this is troubling. Where are you? So I think the tough part about this, about like is capitalism redeemable, etc., is that uh, it's hard to have these conversations, I think, as a society, because we all have different ideas of what, just in the public imagination, there's there are different ideas of what, does capitalism mean what does socialism mean etc no no kelly there aren't different ideas of what capitalism means and what socialism means there's only one definition of capitalism there's really only one definition of socialism you are trying to parse the language to try to separate separate yourself from the socialist model in in venezuela there is no there is no different form of socialism or different understanding of what socialism is. That's a lie. That's a misnomer. You just don't want to be known as the person who is advocating for policies and for an economic model that has Caracas plunged into darkness for four days. There's no power. There's no running water. Food is spoiling what little there is. People are desperate. They have no internet. People are literally in the dark. Literally and physically because of the sun and no power. 
and informationally because they don't have access online, which is probably good for Maduro, who is blaming the United States for this, saying it was a cyber attack on their electrical grid that caused this. Looters have taken the streets. It's chaos. It is what socialism brings. Socialism, as we have all said for a long time, is wonderful at the beginning. It's great until the government runs out of other people's money. Because when people realize the more they earn, the more they just taken away from them, they lose the incentive to earn. And they just wait for their handout. It happens again and again and again. No, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's not capitalism that is irredeemable. It is your beloved socialism. It's 920, so I'm going to take a time out now uh, before I give you the rest or more of AOC. And I welcome your phone calls at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those will get you here. Dial now. We'll put you up and on the radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is 24 minutes after 9 o'clock on AM 1420. The answer. I want to give you a little bit more of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her brilliant analysis of what capitalism is versus socialism and why capitalism is irredeemable. When I think about what those definitions are, capitalism isn't, to me, is, it's an ideology of capital. It puts capital, the most important thing is the concentration of capital and it means that we seek and prioritize profit and the accumulation of money above all else and we seek it at any human and environmental cost. Those are the words of an avowed, true-believing socialist. Not a quote-unquote democratic socialist, as they try to couch themselves. They try to couch the language. They try to they try to distance themselves from pure, <clears throat> um, unadulterated socialism, the type of which is being exposed right now in Venezuela. The socialism that led to the capital leads to the, the communism, rather, uh, of the uh, Soviet, the old Soviet Union, and all of those nations that embraced it, and all of the failures. Um, this is an about socialist capitalism. She said, is the pursuit of capital at the expense of everyone else and everything else. She's wrong. Capitalism, rather, is what allows people who, are, who have nothing else to be able to grow and generate wealth. To earn. To save. To be promoted. To advance. To earn more. To save. To one day open your own business, perhaps. Or just continue to advance. Promotion to management. Promotion to middle management, upper upper management, CEO status. Capitalism raises, you know, what's the the old adage? A rising tide raises all boats. A rising tide, a rising capitalist economy brings everybody up and gives everybody an opportunity to go higher. As opposed to socialism, 
where no one can achieve higher, where no one can rise up, because every attempt to rise is met with theft, theft of earnings and profits by the government so they can be handed to those who are choosing not to try to rise. You remember what she said in the Green New Deal, right? A sustainable living will be provided for those unable or unwilling to work. How are you going to do that? By taking away from those who are trying to earn. Capitalism isn't the pursuit of capital and profit at all expenses, at, at all, uh, no matter the cost to others or to the environment. Capitalism is the belief that all, including those who are at the lower end of the economic scale, the lower end of the economic model, the lower end of the, of the wealth demographics in the United States, have an opportunity to rise up out of that. There is no other model in which someone who is poor has an opportunity to become wealthy. Under a socialist model, those who are poor will always be poor. They may raise their level of poverty to a slightly higher level as people who are already at a way higher level of of earnings drop down into the poverty level as the government decides uh, where where the money is distributed. She is a leader. She is the face of the Democrats right now. How do we know how much power this bubble-headed bartender has? How do we know for sure? Ilhan Omar. That's how we know for sure. What I mean by that is, last week, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was supposed to be calling... A um, for a resolution to condemn anti-Semitism, the type of which has been practiced by Ilhan Omar, the Muslim representatives, representative from the Islamic Caliphate of Minnesota. Nancy Pelosi and Democrat leadership was all ready to do this. Until what? Until they heard from AOC, Kelly Bundy L. Cortez, and Rashida Tlaib and others who are part of that group demanding that they not rebuke or censure Ilhan Omar. How can you do that? She's a Somali survivor, a Muslim, in a world where Muslims are demonized and victimized all the time. You can't do that. And Nancy Pelosi said, no, we have to rebuke this. We have to, <clears throat> we have to condemn anti-Semitism. No, you don't, Nance. There was a showdown. Guess who blinked? Nancy Pelosi and Democrat leadership blinked. Nancy Pelosi gave the gavel to the freshman from the Bronx, as she likes you to believe, although she's only one one 1,024th Bronx. Nancy Pelosi ceded leadership to AOC, to Rashida Tlaib, to Ilhan Omar, who have now been emboldened to be even more anti-Semitic. This is a very serious threat. A very serious threat to capitalism, a very serious threat to our republic, quite frankly, because these people have power. They have followers, they have supporters, and according to a survey that I'll share with you on the other side of the news, more and more young voters are down with their cause. I'll tell you that as we continue after the news on AM 1420. Attention, social justice warriors. 
You're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended? This isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 934 now. The Bob France Authority continues. Congressman Jim Jordan in about 14 minutes. Nancy Pelosi had a stare down with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She wanted to rebuke, as did a lot of other Democrat um establishment if you will members of the now majority house in the house of uh, house of uh, representatives <clears throat> they wanted to rebuke Ilhan Omar uh Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez among others came to Omar's defense and led Nancy Pelosi to blinking uh, the incident that happened was, uh, I don't think our colleague is anti-Semitic. I think she has a different experience in the use of words, doesn't understand that some of them are fraught with meaning that she what, didn't realize. But nonetheless, that we had to address. And so uh, the question was, do you have one amendment that just... I, I have to pause that for a second just to make sure you understood what she just said. She just said that Ilhan Omar isn't anti-Semitic. She's just stupid. Right? She doesn't understand words. She doesn't doesn't understand what she said. She doesn't understand what she's saying. She's dumb. Can you imagine that if a Republican had said this about Ilhan Omar? Oh, she just doesn't know what she's talking about. She's not smart enough to, to realize the, the words because she has different experiences. She's Somali, after all. She's got to be dumb. That's essentially what Nancy Pelosi is using to cover here, saying that she's not really anti-Semitic. She just doesn't know what she's saying. Some of them are fraught with meaning that she what didn't realize, but nonetheless, <laughs> that we had to address. And so uh, the question was, do you have one amendment that just talks about anti-Semitism? I mean, resolution or one that addresses white supremacy, a white... Uh, um, uh, is there white supremacy being practiced in Congress, Madam Speaker? The only thing even remotely resembling anything having to do with white supremacy are some questionable statements made by Steve King, a Republican from Iowa, who was rebuked by the Republicans in Congress? Who was stripped of his, of his seat on committees in Congress? Who is being encouraged by Republicans to resign from Congress? <laughs> Republicans didn't try to say, let's pass a resolution that condemns um, all, all, all kinds of other terrible things. They just said Steve King by name. Unacceptable language, unacceptable statements, unacceptable retweets of people with unacceptable associations. You're out. You're out of our uh, uh, committees. You you are no longer going to be representing representing anyone in Congress other than your district, and your district is going to have to vote you out. That's how this is supposed to be done. But Nancy and the and the uh, the Democrats, the Pods, the Party of Death, ah, uh, you know. You can't just condemn anti-Semitism. You've got to condemn all these other things, too, you know. By the way, these are the same idiots who got mad when we said, no, not black lives matter. All lives matter, including black lives, brown lives, Asian lives, Nordic lives, European lives. Um, what else? Arctic lives, Scandinavian lives, canine lives, feline lives, alien lives, all lives. No, no, specifically black lives have to matter. 
but they won't let specifically anti-Semitic remarks be condemned. So many of the, the uh, uh, Islamophobia, all the rest of it, so we thought it would just be appropriate to have it as one. But it has no, by no means any intention nor any impact or any effect well, it, in reducing the fight against anti-Semitism. It does exactly that. It does exactly that. It limits the effort to combat anti-Semitism by watering down this ridiculous bill and by allowing other members of the party to continue to defend it, including presidential candidates like Tulsi Gabbard. Well, let's look at the bigger issue here. The bigger issue is, uh, there's a couple actually, of, of making sure that as members of Congress and as people in this country, we can have open dialogue uh, about our foreign policy. Um, you know, as, as there are uh, criticisms levied about uh, dual loyalty. Again, as I mentioned in the last question, I've been on the on the receiving end of those types of attacks, so I can understand. Um, There's video to this. You only get the audio because you're listening on radio. But if you could see the video like I can, you would see her literally dancing. She's in an interview on CNN. <laughs> she is tap dancing her head off, trying to avoid the question, which fortunately. The questioner actually doesn't let her get away with how offensive they can be where just because I am a Hindu people assume that therefore I must be loyal to some other interest or some other but what but what about these specific statements you're talking broadly these specific statements were they anti-semitic there are people who have expressed their offense at these statements I think that what Congresswoman she still won't condemn them as anti-Semitic. Um, some people were offended by it. That wasn't a question, Tulsi. I think that what Congresswoman Omar was trying to get at was a deeper issue related to our foreign policy. And I think there's an important discussion that we have to be able to have openly, even though we may end up disagreeing at the end of it, that we've got to be able to have that openness to have the conversation. But you're not willing to go as far what as I'm saying, saying is, is what she was trying to bring up was so, I, was something that was was a deeper issue. Okay. And I don't believe that she that her intent was to to cause any offense to anyone. Okay. Finally, at the very end, still not saying these are anti-Semitic remarks. Uh, I don't think she was trying to cause offense to anyone. She is a Jew hater. She is an Israel hater. And yet her party loyalists and colleagues continue to defend her. Why? Because they will not go after one of their own. They will use every opportunity, no matter how bad one of them says, or no matter how bad uh, something is that one of them says, they'll use it to turn around and attack Trump or Republicans. They're expert experts at this. And what does that do in the end? It emboldens... Ilhan Omar, the anti-Semitic, Jew-hating, Israel-hating representative from Minnesota. It emboldens her to not only double down on the criticism of Jews and of Israel and of of, of pro-Israel policies in America, it allows her to actually play the victim, which is what she tried to do this weekend. It's it almost as if every single time we say something, regardless of what it is we say, that is supposed to be about foreign policy, our engagement, our advocacy about ending oppression, 
or the freeing of every human life and, and wanting dignity. She doesn't want to end oppression. Because the people of Israel and Jews worldwide have been oppressed longer than anyone. But she doesn't care about them. How do we know? Because of the next statement. We get to be labeled in something and that ends the discussion because we end up defending that and nobody ever gets to have the broader debate of what is happening with Palestine. Aha, there it is. It's about Palestine. It's about Palestine. Ilhan Omar believes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who infamously declared that Israel is occupying Palestine. You recall that, right? It was her introduction to the world after being elected. I'm not the expert on geopolitics. I just, you know, but Israel is, you know, it's, it's occupying Palestine. And, uh, yeah, and that's exactly what they believe. All right. I'm going to get out now. I'm going to take a time out because I want to make room for Congressman Jim Jordan. He and I have a lot of things to discuss. House Resolution One, very important. Michael Cohen and the Democratic conspirators slash collusionaries. Did I say that right? Colluders. Maybe colluders. We'll go with colluders. We're going to talk about that uh, and more coming up with uh, Congressman Jordan on AM 1420. All right, 948. Now the Bob Branch Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer. We're waiting for a phone call from Congressman Jim Jordan. And while we wait for that, I want you to hear more of the emboldened Ilhan Omar. Question of why is it okay for you to push... For you to be put, there's so many people. I mean, most of us are new, but many members of Congress have been there forever. Some of them have been there before we were born. So I know many of them, many of them were fighting, were fighting for people to be freed, for people to live in dignity in South Africa. All right, we'll come back to this word salad of nonsense from uh, Ilhan Omar in a bit, but I do understand Congressman Jordan is on the line right now, and uh, we'll go to the congressman from the 4th Congressional District of our great state, Jim Jordan, now in AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Congressman. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. Good morning to you. Yeah, are you feeling okay? You sound like you're losing your voice. I am. No, I am. Well, I've been, I don't know. You, you spend time arguing with liberals. Sometimes you lose some of your voice. But no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I had a good weekend. Did you have a good weekend? I did. You know, I was actually wondering when I heard your voice being a little raspy there, you're either yelling at liberals on the Hill or you were in uh, Columbus at the state wrestling championships this weekend. You, know, this you may one, have lost your voice one the, there. Well, the first times I didn't make it, we, we were state, we were stuck here in D.C. and uh, had one nephew wrestling. He took, he placed four. So, and then I had another nephew. I was, I was yelling at the TV yesterday because I had a nephew who got beat in the Big Ten finals. But um, we'll be at the NCAA tournament here in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Uh, that's the plan at least. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, all right, Congressman, a lot of work uh, to get done here, and I know you're working on First of all, need to get your response and your reaction to what they did last week. Ilhan Omar has a history, not just in the two and a half months that she's been in Congress, yeah. but going back to 2012 of anti-Israel and anti-Semitic statements. And the Democrats were poised to say, yeah, we can't really allow that. Um, they were going to pass a resolution condemning that right. and her. And we all know what happened. Well, we can't do that. That'll make her look bad. That'll make us look bad. So we'll just 
blame Trump and say there's all kinds of hate speech out there, anti-Islam, anti-gay, anti-black, and we'll just condemn all things that are bad uh, all at the same time. I just found it embarrassing. I found I found it uh, very um, uh, discouraging to know that they can't even come together on something as simple as, as joining yeah. together and saying, yeah, anti-Semitism has to stop. Yeah, I, would, I think we would all appreciate it, a, a different type of resolution, one that you described uh, there in your, your comments. Um, Here's the bottom line. Look, Polly and I, we've been to Israel four times. Uh, there is no better friend of the United States than the state of Israel and uh, no better friend of the state of Israel than the United States. Um, just an amazing, amazing uh, country. And any type of language that is anti-Israel, anti-Semitic is just flat out wrong and should be should be condemned. But that's not the, the, the tack they took with their resolution. It was basically, as you said, just, you know, uh, we're against all kinds of, of, of hateful speech. Um, so we'll, we'll see going forward. Uh, my, my guess is that, that uh, you know, there, 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 there'll be some other things said that we may have to address later from, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But um, it is what it is, and, and it passed overwhelmingly, and the vast majority of, of, of us voted for it. There were a few who, who, for the reason you cited, said, you know, this is not strong enough, and, and they opposed it. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to ask you. Um, Congressman Zeldin made a very, very strong speech mm-hmm. about this thing. We cannot allow them to do this. You know, for example, when 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 Steve King of Iowa made statements that many people found to be uh, offensive yeah. and, and leaning toward white supremacy, or he has retweeted people with questionable associations, Republicans responded by public rebuking, publicly rebuking and revoking his um, uh, committees. Uh, his, his, committee, his, yeah. under his committees, right. Uh, yep. they, they, they're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Why can the Democrats not do the same thing? And, and I hope the American people can see that. Yeah, I think the American people can see that. You'd have to ask Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrat caucus why they they, they chose the, the route they did. Um, I think it, 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 it's incumbent upon all of us, though, just to say, look, there is no place for this kind of this kind of language, this kind of this kind of um, uh, statements. Uh, in our in our debate, it's wrong. It's flat out wrong, and um, and we need to continue to say that. What they do is up to them, uh, as far as any type of disciplinary action. And I think uh, the American people can see exactly what uh, exactly what took place. Congressman Jim Jordan joining us last week. We talked about Michael Cohen's testimony, um, which and and the fact that he was called to testify in the first place, which was just so. Yeah, uh, beyond the pale as far as I am concerned, given the fact that he's going to prison for lying to Congress. So you, you commented on that extensively, but I have not talked to you since we found out that Michael Cohen apparently spent a roughly 10 hour, uh, roughly 10 hours yeah. in private consultation and, dare I say, collusion over four different meetings with Adam Schiff. Uh, some people are calling it coaching. Some people are calling it like I am. They colluded with one another to be able to find a way to make Donald Trump look as bad as they can in order to score political points. What is your thought? What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, the, the first thing is, Bob, 10 hours of prep and he still comes in live? Was it wasn't too good of prep work. <laughs> I mean, we now have the latest count. We think he lied eight times. Two are absolutely 100% provable right now without any more examination. We know that he wanted to work in the White House. He's on tape saying that, and he come in front of, uh, of, of Congress, and I asked him about the White House. No, I, mean, I never wanted to work in the White House. What? And then we know he actively sought a pardon, and he testified that, that he didn't. So, you know, for all the prep work, you think they could have kept him from lying again, but um, obviously they, they didn't. Now, understand this. It, it, all the time, you, I mean, it, it, is, it is customary to talk with witnesses some. But four trips to New York and 10, 12 hours of preparation, that is what is unusual, particularly when Mr. Meadows and I sent a letter to Mr. Cummings back in early January and said, 
we would like to do a deposition, a transcribed interview of Mr. Cohen, so both sides get a chance to ask him questions and see relevant documents prior to him coming and testifying publicly, and we were told no. But then we learn, oh, that the, the House Intel Committee Democrat staff went to New York at least four different times and had over 10 hours of time where they could ask him questions. I'll bet one other thing happened too, Bob. You know those eight exhibits Mr. Cohen had? How much yeah. you want to bet the Democrats saw those long before we ever did? We didn't see them until, frankly, the morning of his testimony. I bet they saw them long before uh, we ever got a chance to view them. Well, the fact that they spoke for 10 hours, what are they talking about? You know, are they talking about yep. the upcoming Met season or something up there? No, it's, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they were definitely going over that stuff. So and Remember what Schiff said, Bob. Schiff, Adam Schiff said on, on TV, he said, I talked to him about logistics, and I alleviated any concerns he might have had about threats and concerns to his family. Now, that took me about six seconds to say. They're talking 10 hours and four trips. Six seconds versus 10 hours and four trips. So for Schiff to portray that, oh, no, no, I just talked to him. Maybe Adam Schiff did just talk to him personally for a short period of time but that but the fact that your staff spent over 10 hours when we on the Demo, on the, excuse me on the republican side were trying to get a deposition and a, and a transcribed interview where we could ask some questions and know some things ahead of time that is what's unfair congressman jordan that that's that's the problem here and i guess that's the part that i'm i'm failing to understand how this can be allowed and i don't know all of the rules of uh, of the committees but but when you requested and mr meadows requested from cummings the chance to do exactly what they were doing and at least just have some some early discovery by way of depositions or whatever so you can prepare for the public testimony and questioning mm-hmm. it, it's totally up to the chairman to deny that of one party and to accept yep. it from the other he has it's totally well, their call historically yeah rules? historically it's fair but in fact mr cummings made a big to do a few years ago when I think a couple staff members met with a witness on the Big Gazi Committee for a few minutes, and the minority staff wasn't invited, and he made a big production of this. And now, now we learn that, that, that the Democrats on the Intel Committee, as I said, made several trips to New York, spent several hours, looks like over 10 hours with the witness, and we, 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 were, we were denied any opportunity for anything comparable. That's the problem. And um, so we're going to continue to raise it. Like I raised with Mr. Cummings last week in the hearing. Remember, Mr. Cummings made a big production. In the hearing, he said, if you, if you lie to us, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to come after you. He, he made a big production at the start of the hearing. Well, he lied to us. What's Mr. Cummings done? I haven't, I haven't seen the first thing. Mr., uh, M- M- Congressman Meadows and I sent a referral to the Justice Department highlighting the, the number of lies that we think Mr. Cohen committed on the witness stand. What's Mr. Cummings done? So that's another question we have for, uh, for the uh, majority party. Congressman Jordan, I want to ask you about one more thing. Uh, I talked sure. with your colleague um, uh, Rodney Davis this morning when I was doing Hugh's show, and uh, we talked about HR one. Uh, he oh described yeah. it. He described it this way as as a as a plethora of campaign finance, election, and ethics reforms, all targeted by Democrats to create their ideal election system through federally controlled mandates that yep. strip all of the power away from local, uh, you know, local and and state boards uh, boards of elections, etc. Um, they're going to vote on this uh, this Friday. What can you tell us about it? Well. That that bill, um, that bill, the Democrats, when, when there was an amendment, 126 Democrats voted to allow 16-year-olds to vote. There is public financing, taxpayer financing uh, of, of elections. This is all to rig the game in favor of Democrats. And frankly, it, it would be much more federal control over, like, historically in this country, and this is the way it should be, states control their elections. This would, this would empower the federal government to mandate certain kinds of uh, of procedures being in place 
for all elections across the country, allows 16-year-olds to vote. And that one didn't pass, but think about this, 126 Democrats supported that. And then, of course, the public financing of campaigns. Think about this, just what we want. Taxpayers having to pay for the people who are already in the swamp to get reelected to the swamp. Go figure that. I mean, such such a deal for taxpayers. So that's why this legislation is just so bad, and that's why we're against it. You know, um, you mentioned wanting 16-year-olds uh, to vote. Um, I'm going to ask you one other thing, and it's, it, was, it isn't a part of this bill, but Nancy Pelosi over the weekend was talking about uh, the suppression of the vote of newcomers to America. She declared, uh, and I could play the audio, but if I had more time, I would, but she declared that newcomers to America should not have their vote suppressed. She did not say new citizens in America who have a right to vote. She is saying newcomers, meaning aliens, illegal or legal immigrants to the United States, saying they they all deserve a vote at the table of democracy and should not have their votes suppressed. Is the same party that is complaining about foreign influence in elections actually asking foreigners to vote in American elections? Yes, yes, they are. I mean, remember, Stacey Abrams, and think about the Democrat position. Blumenauer says abolish ICE. Uh, uh, Secretary Clinton, when she ran, said borderless hemisphere. Speaker Pelosi has said uh, walls are immoral. And then the most important thing, Stacey Abrams, gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, who gave the State of the Union response for the Democrats, she said she's okay with non-citizens voting. So this is what Democrats want. They want you to pay for election. They want 16-year-olds to be able to vote, and they want non-citizens to be able to vote. That is what they're pushing for. No ifs, ands, buts about it. And for most Americans, people look at that and say, are you crazy? But that's exactly where they're going. And don't forget, they want the federal government to establish all of the rules so that people, uh, the local yep. and state authorities, have no say whatsoever in how these things are done, all rigged toward more Democrat power. Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th uh, Congressional District Representative. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you for coming on. You got Thanks, Bob. Take care. You got it. 10 o'clock now. Let's get news on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.